What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Metallica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Here on this Tuesday, October the 5th, the year 2021, we will get into and recap all the happenings that was in week four of the National Football League over the weekend. Recap the Monday night game as the uh, L.A. Chargers, quote-unquote, uh, dethroned the Las Vegas Raiders as the only team in the AFC uh, heading into Monday night undefeated. We'll get into that game. We will preview the American League and National League wild card games that are coming up on Tuesday night and Wednesday. And then come Friday, we will give you a nice deep dive into the 2021 MLB uh, postseason beginning with the a- with uh, the ALDS and the NLDS and of course you bet we will preview week 5 of the National Football League but that's later on down the line uh, later in the week. We begin the show uh, recapping uh, some four key takeaways from the 1 o'clock window of games in week 4 uh, of the NFL. Uh, item number one is that the is that the New York City is that the New York City football teams finally got their first win of the season, and it took five quarters for them to do so. The Jets finally got off the Schneid in overtime in a game that Tennessee had absolutely no business losing. Zach Wilson throwing the football all over the place. You know they got Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill is supposed to be you know a pretty good quarterback. And uh, they got A.J. Brown, and uh, they got A.J. Brown, who I get didn't play, but, you know, A.J., but uh, they also got, you know, they got a talented roster, especially offensively, and you can't beat the New York Jets and you, you know, lose that game by a field goal. That's not anything to be proud of. And Yes, I understand that if they had a competent kicker, uh, Fat Randy, Randy Bullock, who stinks, Thank the good Lord Jesus Christ he's off my Cincinnati Bengals team because that's that's how Randy Bullock is. He's very up and down. He's very inconsistent. He'll hit a game-winning field goal for you like he did week two, uh, like he did for the Titans in week two against the Seahawks one week, and then two weeks and then two weeks later he shanks a game-tying field goal in overtime on on the road still. Then uh, two weeks later the next. So he's very up and down, inconsistent kicker. I would not trust him. Uh, I would he would be he would not be my kicker if the fate of the universe depended on it. Randy Bullock, he stinks. I've seen a I've seen enough I've seen enough Randy Bullock uh, miss kicks in clutch situations, and I don't mean miss kicks where you know it gla- it it it, uh, it nicks off the upright or he misses it by like six inches. When Randy Bullock misses, he doesn't even come. close. Close, and you know, and you're a kicker, and your waistline looks looks you know looks like uh, Randy Bullock's waistline. I, I mean, come on, let's 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 call it like you say it. Not to mention, not to mention, who can forget when he absolutely shanked what would have been a game tying field goal for my Bengals in Week One against the Chargers last season. He shanked the what would have been a game tying kick to send it overtime. This Muppet then has the nerve, the temerity, the chutzpah to sit up here and and pull the injury card and. He he, and he starts grabbing for his calf. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Anyway, it's not a hand or there, but the Jets and the Giants get off the schneid finally. They win their first game in the month of October. Jets took care of business 27-24, and the football Giants, who we'll get to in a minute, their game also went in overtime. They took, it, they took care of business against the Saints 27-21, but we'll, uh, get, we'll stick with the Jets uh, for now. I mean, you want to talk, Zach Wilson 
who made a who made a very uh, who made a great amount of good throws in the game to keep the Jets alive. You know, who started off the game, you know, he had a bonehead ass night interception earlier in the game that I did not understand, but rebounded well, 21-34 through for 297, two touchdown passes in the game, only got sacked one time, um, and, uh, and then, of course, their wide receiver out of uh, Western Michigan, Corey Davis, had a phenomenal afternoon, four receptions, 111 yards receiving, and a touchdown catch. But you know, more or less about Tennessee. You know, in a game where Derrick Henry on 33 carries runs for 157 yards, you got to figure that the Tennessee Titans would win that game. But that's not the case. You know why? Because Ryan Tannehill and give Robert Sala and give that uh, and give that defensive front for the Jets all the credit in the world because they deserve it. You know, in a game where Derrick Henry rushes for 157 yards and a touchdown on 33 carries, you'd figure the Tennessee and it is the New York Jets the win, heading into Sunday the winless New York Jets. You'd figure that the Tennessee Titans would win this game by no less than 13 to 17 points. But the main reason why the Titans, you know couldn't uh, reach the 30 mark as far as scoring and why the Jets kept the game close throughout the throughout the majority of the game even when they went into halftime with a uh, not with a 9-7 advantage uh, and here's the bottom line Ryan Tannehill got Ryan Tannehill excuse me got sacked seven times so you throw in the fact that Ryan Tannehill got sacked nine, uh, seven times. You throw in the fact that Ryan Tannehill had 19 incompletions of the game. You also throw in the fact that you had. You also throw into the fact that you had no, that uh, that Derek, not Derrick Henry, AJ Brown and Julio Jones were not a factor in the receiving threat. You throw that into the equation on top of the fact that on top of the fact that you have the Jets, you know, who's at home. That I'm pretty sure they've heard and read about how much they stink and they can't do this they can't do that you know so they're like so the pressure is on them for them to you know not carry out this losing streak until they're into their bye week that that's that's soon forthcoming you know you know and into this and into this and well into the second month of the season so it's like hey we got to straighten up and fly right and if there's a team you know that has a tendency to either play down to their competition or not play as well as they should it's the Tennessee Titans many people think Many people forget that the Bengals' second win of the 2020 season in November came against the Tennessee Titans, when their defense didn't show up and their and their offense wasn't when their offense wasn't great. People forget that they the Bengals who who were. Uh, like one and eight somewhere along those lines in early mid November had Tennessee come into town and they and they beat them by two touchdowns if not even more I have to go back and look at the and look at the game but 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 the Bengals that got their second one of the season off of this Tennessee Titans team last year and the Tennessee Titans team that almost lost to the winless Colts last time out and the Tennessee Titans team that got that got mocked, not mocked, but got destroyed, for lack of a better word, at home against the Cardinals in week one. Got absolutely, I mean, their defense was absolutely atrocious. Ryan Tannehill was, was ugh. 
they let Kyler Murray do whatever he wants to that defense. And, you know, Zach Wilson, outside of that bad first half, 31-20 was the final score. They, the Bengals were heading into that game at 1-5-1. and And Tennessee was heading into that game at 5-1. and And the Bengals beat them 31, beat them by double digits 31-20. Uh, but, again, anyway, getting back to Tennessee, you know, they could not they could not protect Ryan Tannehill. I mean, the Jets' defensive line absolutely had their way with the Titans' offensive line in that game. And give Zach Wilson, give that offense credit. They didn't quit on they didn't quit on each other. They didn't quit on themselves. They didn't quit on the fans. And they deserve to get their first win of the season. That's I number one. And then, of course, with the other New York uh, City team, the New York Football Giants went down there. Now this now this is a a result that really shocked me because nobody would expect it when the Giants stink. Their head coach is overrated. Daniel Jones plays uninspiring football. They have just they just left. The, if you've watched them play this season, they're boring. They leave a sour, rotten taste in your mouth every single time you see them play. And here it is: the New York, the New Orleans Saints, coming off a good victory in Foxborough the week before, coming home to play their first. Uh, home game of the season, second mo- the second month into the season, they went a whole mo- the entire month of September away from New Orleans. Not in a, it's not exactly you know Saints versus Falcons in late September of 2006 Monday Night Football. You know coming home from the you know coming t- uh, back to the Superdome after Katrina, but still has that same element of you know, of hey we got not we got fan we got you know fans in the stands we got fans in the stands after the pandemic. We've returned home after the whole hurricane. This, the last home game the Saints played was a was a Monday Night Football preseason game against the Jaguars in, in, uh, in mid August. So they have, so they have not played a home game in, in well over a month. And you'd figure on top of that, on top of that, Jameis Winston, you know, hasn't played off the charts incredible, but he's played he's played pretty decent. Kept the Saints in, in a majority of the games that they've played in two and one. You know, you know, has an opportunity to go to three and one, and possibly, you know, make the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers sweat in the NFC South, and the and the Saints and the Saints squander a lead. They the Saints squander a lead, and the Giants, but lo and behold, end up winning the game by the final score of twenty-seven twenty-one. I mean, it's just uh, for the Saints. For the Saints, a team that now, I don't think they will, but to met or did did I did I actually predict them to go to the playoffs? Let me fact check myself on that. But I expected the Saints to be competitive. I don't think I had them in the playoffs. And for those who did think they were going to go to the playoffs, that is a bet. I had them at eight and nine, so I didn't have them making the playoffs. But still, for many of people and for Saints fans that have the uh, that have the expectation that the Saints are going to make the playoffs. That is a horrendous loss. You cannot lose at home. You know, coming when you've been on the road for a month, coming back home in your own friendly confines of the Superdome, go up against the winless, hapless, dysfunctional New York Football Giants that lost to your division rival Atlanta Falcons for crying out loud. You cannot, in any circumstances, allow them to walk into your building and beat you in overtime and allow Daniel Jones to look like Phil Simms and march down the field and and put together a game-winning touchdown drive. I mean, that is just that is just absolutely positively inexcusable. I mean, if you, if you're a, if you're a Saints fan, that is a horrendous 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 loss. You can I mean, you can't you can't allow that to happen. 
You know, I understand that, you know, you aren't the uh, Super Bowl contenders that I picture to be on a year in, year out basis, but you cannot, you can't let the Giants walk into your building and beat the living stuffing out of you uh, with a come with a come from behind victory and win the game 27-21. I mean that that's just un, that's unacceptable. And it's a bad job on Sean Payton. It's a bad job on uh, it's a bad job on Jameis Winston who played I right, not great. They ran the ball decently with Alvin Kamara, but I mean but it's uh, it's just a bad, bad, bad loss for the Saints. Twenty-one to ten lead midway through the fourth quarter, and they got outscored. And they got outscored by the Giants. Se- and they got outscored by the Giants, seventeen to nothing. Seven, seventeen unanswered points. I mean, it's just, it, it can't happen to 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 the uh, to the New York Giants. I'm sorry that you just cannot allow it to happen. Can't happen. You know, especially when you dominated in time of possession, thirty-seven, thirty-one to twenty-seven, thirty-five. You just you can't allow, you can't have that happen. You can't. You cannot. Your defense, you know, which is one of the, which you know, in a, I won't say in a perfect world, but you know, has the ability to be the best in football and has had some moments of glory where they looked fantastic, whether it be against the Patriots the week before or week one against the. Uh, or week one in that absolute massacre against the Packers. They have the potential to be, you know, top five best defense in the NFC. And if all breaks right, they could make the playoffs as a wild card team. You can't do that losing to the Giants and blowing a and blowing a twenty one to ten lead, allowing Daniel Jones and the Giants, who have played uninspiring football thus far, to uh, to seventeen unanswered. That's a joke. Daniel Jones throwing for four hundred and two yards. I mean, I mean, come on, guys. Come on, you got 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 to do better than that. That's a that's a horrendous loss. Horrendous. Taylor Heineke. I mean, what a le- what a legend and what a folklore he's become. I mean, the game was throwing a game-winning touchdown pass within the closing seconds of regulation as Washington uh, stole the game. And I do mean stole the game because their defense stinks. Uh, enough, enough of the enough of the enough of the Washington defense. Which I mean, I understand. I'm you know say that to yourself, Jai, because you picked them to win a division. But I mean, their defense stinks. and you allow Matt Ryan to throw for three hundred two hundred eighty-three passing yards and four touchdowns in a game. And then allow Cordell Patterson to catch three of them. I mean, your 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 defense is not bad. It is absolutely horrendous. Thirty points allowed to this Atlanta Falcons team. I mean, oh my goodness. It's uh, I mean their 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 defense is a major 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 problem that needs to be addressed, or else this team ain't ain't gonna, ain't gonna make the playoffs. I'm telling you right now, this, this team is, ain't gonna make it. And Chase Young, four tackles, four tackles, one tackle for a loss, not good enough. I'm sorry, you know, a uh, uh, defensive rookie of the year, second overall pick in last year's draft, not good enough. And I got, I got to see more. But how about Terry McLaurin, who had a hell of an afternoon, six receptions for 123 receiving yards, two touchdown catches in the game, was absolutely phenomenal. Taylor Heineke threw for 293 touchdown uh, passes in the game. An emotional victory for him because he was, uh, he recalled a time, uh, this time last year, he was sitting, he was living with his sister and his brother-in-law, you know, when he essentially thought that his NFL dreams was, was squash, uh, finish, you know, ain't, you know, ain't gonna happen, you know, it's just, you know, it is what it is trying to find himself, yet his, yet his sister and his brother-in-law's faith never wavered 
they, you know, he said it during the postgame interview. They be, they believed in him when he didn't even believe in himself. And just a remarkable come from behind victory from what he is a hell of a quarterback. You know, he, T- Taylor Heineke. If you haven't watched him play that much this season or that much essentially since the Buccaneer playoff, he is one hell of a talent and a great great quarterback. Has a tremendous arm. Has has a has an incredible grit, toughness. The will to win. He, you get the idea. You ha, he has the, he has that intangible where you know if things aren't going right in the game and he wants the game badly enough, he's going to have the mindset where where it's all bets are off. I'm gonna put my team on my back and I'm gonna bring them home. He just he puts forth 110 percent effort with every single snap, gives it everything he's got. You know he he you can see he goes out there and he wants to win every single time he lines up under center. And I mean the arm, his arm power and his just his his arm strength is just absolutely phenomenal. One of the best in the league right now. And also, uh, he joins a list of Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, and my guy Joe Burrow with multiple TD passes in each of their first, at the minimum, three starts to begin their NFL career. Taylor Heineke is the real deal. That's the other thing. And then, of course, the Cowboys, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are just a damn good football team. I mean, I thought, you know, there's, I mean, again, there's still time. It's still early in the time where the Dallas Cowboys season goes up in smoke and collapses right in front of you. It's typically, you know, once the month of November comes around and you get closer and closer to Thanksgiving and then the holiday season, eventually the Dallas Cowboys, you know, show their true colors and they collapse like they always do. But as of now, they've played absolutely fantastic. Their defense was a sieve in week one, but their offense played well enough to win the game against Dallas. Against uh, Tampa in the opening game week one, they had a great gritty victory, although aided by ref ball week two against the Chargers. Week three against, um, sorry, I dropped my pen. Uh, week three against the Eagles last Monday night, it was just, they put on an absolute clinic. And then on Sunday, they took care of business against the Panthers, 36-28. A call that I did not understand, and I tweeted it out on my uh, Twitter page at the J Shield, is that when they scored a touchdown to make it uh, to make it a 13 to take the lead to uh, their second touchdown of the game in the first half, they took the, they scored a touchdown to make it 13-7 Dallas. Why in the world Mike McCarthy thought it was a bright idea to, to start chasing points and going for two early in the second quarter? I I I do not. I mean, it's two days after. It's two days after the fact, and I still have no idea why the hell he decided it was a bright idea to go for doing that situation. Take the points and kick the extra point, Mike. Please, my goodness gracious, stop trying to be cute. To hell what some analytical nerd or what some analytical book or analytical notes tell you. Screw the guy that's in your headset sitting up in a luxury suite next to Stephen Jones. Forget all of that. Kick your extra point and take the points. It's too early in the game, and the game is too freaking close for you. And and it's and it's so much football left to be played at that point in time, early in the second quarter, for you to start trying to be cute and being extra and trying to you know try to prove to America how smart you are to start chasing points and going for two when you when you don't need when you don't need to. 
you know you go for you go for two if you need if you have if you're in a situation where you need to go to two to go for two to go for English try go for two to tie the game up you need to go you need to go for two to make it a 10 point game and make it a 14 point game to make it a 17 point game or you know or your kicker misses an extra point and you want to and you're and you're trying to uh you know stay a lock you know be lockstep with you know be in sync and be uh and uh, stay in motion with your opponent lockstep, you know, ma- trying to match score for score. Your guy misses an extra point. You score a touchdown. You want to go for two, so you're still down, you know, so you're down seven points rather than being down eight points or being down nine points. I get that. In that situation, early in the second half, you score a touchdown to take the lead. You match their score with a score of your own. You don't sit up there and go for two to try to make it 15-7 and take that big of a risk. Too early in the game with a game is so tight and you're still trying to figure each other out i mean come on mike come back to me please kick the extra point to make it 14-7 stop trying to outsmart yourself my goodness gracious besides mike mccarthy and uh, that asinine decision to go for two which came back to bite him in the ass and went back and looked at the review on the video review and they saw that schultz was a half yard was a half yard short not a half yard but was at the half inch line short of the goal line to uh to execute a two-point conversion it didn't end up mattering because dallas cowboys out there and just put an absolute clinic offensively dak prescott didn't light up your stat sheet, you know, uh, as far as throwing, as far as his uh, completions and attempts or passing yards, but throwing for four touchdowns is throwing for four touchdowns, and it looks like Zeke Elliott uh, about damn time with all the money he's making. It looks like Zeke Elliott has a fin- has finally come back to us, found the fountain of youth, and is back to putting up the All Pro Pro Bowl type numbers that we had been accustomed to him. Uh, put it up in the in the first few years of his NFL career 20 carries 143 yards in a, on the ground on the ground excuse me in a touchdown run and of course Dak Prescott throwing for four touchdowns is nothing to sneeze at either and then of course on a defensive side how about uh, how about Travion Diggs who's had a phenomenal start to his uh, has had a phenomenal start to his young NFL career the second round uh, pick out of Alabama he already on the season has five interceptions in the first four games of the new season. You heard that right. Five interceptions leads the NFL. Five interceptions, and he's only played four games. There's only been four games. We're only four games into the new season. He's got five interceptions. Two of them which he got uh, with two of them which he got uh, against Dallas on Sunday on Sunday afternoon what a phenomenal seasons he's had uh, Trayvon Diggs a defense uh, they Cowboys need as much defensive firepower as they can get because that has been that was their Achilles heel and one of the reasons why I didn't think they were going to win the division heading into the new season was because their defense because their defense was a sieve that season you know and and their defense making improvements from as god awful as it was last year ain't saying much but as long as uh digs you know is ball hawking back there uh in the secondary and 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 intercepting the ball essentially every game he goes out there and plays and that and Dak prescott can you know throws for three four touchdowns a game and you get zeke involved and 
and he and he's running the ball down the defense's throat like he's like he has the full on capability of doing. The Dallas Cowboys are going to be a dangerous and damn good football team. Now the problem goes from the now the problem goes from their ability to run the ball with Zeke. That appears like that issue was a thing of the past, and their defense is stepped up. And it looks like that their defense, you know, again not exactly you know the steel curtain, but their defense has improved to a, you know has improved to a com- to a comfortable amount where you're not as worried as you were this time last year if you're a Cowboy fan. So you know, so that's not the issue. The issue is Mike McCarthy, because because if he does, because I'm I'm sitting here, I'm trying to tell y'all right now. As God be my witness, on October the on uh, Tuesday, October the fifth, if the Cowboys play a playoff game, whether it be at home, on the road, wherever, if the Dallas Cowboys are in a situation where they're playing a playoff game and the game is tight and it's going to be a chess match where they have to match, where you know if it's if right from the get go you know it's going to be a shootout and they have to match their opponents. Uh, touchdown with a touchdown of their own, and, and and their margin of error on offense is slim to none. Mike McCarthy is going to get him in trouble with his coaching decisions because he pulls that crap in the playoffs. The Dallas Cowboys may be headed, may be headed home, and the, and and the Skip Baylesses and the Jacob Bowles of the world will be screaming and yelling from the rooftops for Mike McCarthy to be axed because of his piss poor uh, in-game management decisions, like going for two early second quarter. You know when it's when it's thirteen seven. When at that point in time, the Panthers looked like they were going to stick with Dallas, and this was going to be a a, a nail biter, a, 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 a nail biting, uh, tight football game at that point in time, and I got Mike McCarthy going for two. If if he if he don't stop it and if he don't check himself, he could be he could be what end up hurt. He could be what ends up hurting the Cowboys. Not a, not anybody on the field. Mike McCarthy could if he's not careful, and I'm very concerned about the Dallas Cowboys. As we op- as we close out this opening, se- or Dallas Cowboys, the Miami Dolphins. As we close out this opening segment, they lost to the. I gotta find the game here on my uh, on my game sheet. Uh, where the hell did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? The Dolphins. The Dol- okay, here we go. To a loss to the uh, Colts, 27-17 the other night, or excuse me, the other day. I am just very as they fall the one and three on the season and they're zero and two at home at Hard Rock Stadium. I am very concerned for the Dolphins. Their offense with Jacoby Brissett is non-existent. They got one of the worst offenses in the league. You know they can't run. They can't run the ball worth a damn. Their passing game is absolutely shot with no Tua. Jacoby Brissett is is uh, is you know I at best. You know their passing game is like I mean they just can't get anything going offensively, and you know and meanwhile the Indianapolis Colts it was, it was a perfect storm for them to get off the 0 and 3 Schneid and finally uh, even up their road record for the season and get that first win to improve themselves to 1 and 3 before this season really gets inter- gets interesting and goes into uh, the further uh, abyss. Uh, of, uh, of of futile football as they play the Ravens next Monday night. Carson Wentz through for two touchdowns, two twenty-eight, twenty-four, thirty-two. They finally got the running game going with Jonathan Taylor had on sixteen carries, ran for one hundred and three yards and a touchdown in the game. Phenomenal bounce back game for the Indianapolis Colts, but I'm concerned for the Miami Dolphins, a team that I had picked to uh, to go to the playoffs. 
I was a huge supporter going into the season of Brian Flores. The Tua injury has essentially thrown its season for now on its axis. I'm very concerned about the Miami Dolphins. Their offense can't get anything going. Their defense, which is supposed to be good heading into the season, has been very lackluster in large part because the de- because the offense can't sustain a drive. They can't milk the clock. They can't you know stay on the field for a long period of time. So the defense gets overworked and it gets tied very very quickly, especially because they're playing in that in that uh, in that humid South Florida heat in the, to begin the you know in the earlier stages of the season. So I am very concerned for the Dolphins uh, moving forward. You look at their schedule, you know, and it doesn't get any easier because they get the Bucks. They get the Bucks in Tampa on Sun on Sunday. They get Jacksonville uh, in London the week after that. So that might be a little bit of a break. But you know, but you know, they get the Super Bowl champion Bucks uh, this week. Shouldn't get any easier for the Miami Dolphins. I'm very concerned. Uh, about them and the Bucks de- and the Bucks defense stinks, but uh, I don't expect them to win on Sunday. But if they can't, if they can't uh, produce any points against Tampa's defense, they you know looked like the way they did in the Super Bowl against ta- against the Patriots, which I'll get to after the break. The Dolphins might be in for a long season, and two is going to be out for a long amount of time. So I'd be very concerned about them uh, as we head into Week Five uh, next weekend. Just getting started. More to do. This is the Amatelica TIS. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. Don't go anywhere. Back right after this. Welcome back to the MTech TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the uh, 4 o'clock window of games as we continue to recap week four of the National Football League. The Seahawks finally got themselves together and got off the schneid uh, and gathered their uh, second win of the season as they improved their record to 2-2, two and two, avoid falling t- and starting the season 1-3 and three as the uh, as the 49ers fall to two and two, and they are winless in their first two home games of the young season. Seahawks win 28-21. You know, I was very concerned about Seattle to begin the game, especially considering that their first, that their first four drives of the game they punted, they punted one, one, two, three, four, five times. Their first five offensive drives of the game they punted. Three plays, six yards, punt. Three plays, negative four yards, punt. Three plays, negative five yards, punt. Three plays, minus ten yards, punt. Three plays, one total yard to gain, punt. To begin the first quarter. And when they did that, I, in my head, watching that game on the Sunday ticket, was, you know, the sirens were going off of me. I was like, oh, holy crap, the, C- the Seahawks, uh, holy crap, this might be the season where the crap hits the fan and the Seahawks really just nosedive and are just awful this season. Because they can, I mean, you couldn't get anything. I understand the 49ers defense is good, but, I mean, you, I mean, the Seahawks typically beat up on the 49ers and they, and they typically take 
Shanahan's coach teams to task, you know, and they five straight five straight offensive drives to begin the game. They got the ball to st- to uh, to start the game. Five their first five offensive possessions all ended in punts, and they could barely move the ball. Their first drive they only moved six yards. They went negative yards. On the second drive, the third drive, the fourth drive, and it only moved one yard on the fifth one, and you know, and with uh, and then after the San Francisco punted to begin the game, or after San Francisco punted, the Seahawks on first set up shop at their own twenty yard line with four forty eight in the second quarter, and the Seahawks go uh, drive down the field eighty yards six plays to score their first touchdown. Uh, of the game, the only touchdown in the first quarter. So I was very concerned at watching the first uh, five offensive drives for Seattle because I was like, "My goodness gracious, if they can't get anything going offensively. Their off their offense their offense essentially is no different. They they their offense they left their they left their offense back in the second quarter of the uh, Titan game in you know two weeks ago. They were you know their offense." Did not show up against the Vikings the week before, and then here, and then here to begin the game with San Francisco, they're punting first five possessions of the game. So I was very concerned about Seattle, and then lo and behold, Russ Wilson works his magic. They go down the field, score a, tu- score a touchdown to end the first quarter, and then they punt their first offensive drive to begin the second, and then they go on, a, and then they just go on absolute tear where they go three straight offensive possessions by scoring touchdowns. And I was very concerned about Seattle, especially after they got the break of all time because Seattle didn't, had not forced that many turnovers in the first three weeks of the season. I was very concerned because they got an interception by by Quandre Diggs with 526 to go in the first quarter. I'm like, all right, well, this is the jolt that this is the jolt that the Seahawks need. They haven't they haven't gotten a turnover. They hadn't gotten an interception, forced the fumble again, you know, and in, in the first three games that they played, their turnovers have been at an absolute low to begin the season. This is what Seattle needs sets them up with great field position at San Francisco's 36 yard line. They go backwards five yards and they punt the ball. As soon as that happened, I was like, if they can't get anything going with a gift of all time with great field position and they in their defense, which has been an up to begin the season, goes out there and forces a first quarter turnover, they can't get anything going after that. There's no hope for this team. Little did I know, Russ Wilson says, "Here, take that," and they go out there and they uh, and they score a touch and they go every quarter the rest of the way scoring a touchdown. Especially in the second half, where I said last week, where their first, where they're uh, where dating back to the uh, Tennessee game and then the Viking game, they scored a combined 13 points to begin in the second half of those two games. The Seahawks go out there in the second half against San Francisco and put up 21 points. So give Wilson, give Pete Carroll, give the Seahawks credit for having a must-needed bounce-back game. To uh, and it's and it was a good, it was a much-needed bounce-back game too. Their first divisional opponent of the season, and it's good, and it's a good thing. In that division, they got their first win in their first divisional matchup of the new year. That's I'm number one. I'm number two is the uh, speaking and sticking with the NFC West is the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Th- boy, I mean the Rams, the Rams uh, didn't didn't last long. 
as uh, the NFL's slash the NFC's best team because they just got absolutely destroyed. No Jimmy Garoppolo also, by the way, and, and through the majority of that Seahawks game, uh, Trey Lance uh, took uh, the majority of the snaps in that game as well. But anyway, st- switching with, to the uh, Cardinals and the Rams, I mean, what an absolute disgusting and underwhelming performance from the Rams. I mean, you want to talk about, and this and this is a rarity when this happens, where Sean McVay gets outcoached by uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who now deserves a little, who now is starting to deserve some credit. You know, Matthew Stafford. You know, I I said it heading into the season. I said it after the Bear game. You know, Matthew Stafford for his arm, for his arm talent, and the, and his nice little highlights that you see here and there. You know, there are going to be times where he's going to let you down, and he, you're going to lose, and uh, you're going to lose a football game to a team that you really had no business losing to, and uh, you know, and they are. In their third home game of the season, fourth overall against the Arizona Cardinals, who the Rams historically always kill, ended up being that game. Matthew Stafford, 26 for 41, threw for 280, threw an interception in the game, did not run the ball all that great. Henderson, 14 carries, 89 yards, did not put the ball in the end zone rushing-wise. Sony Michelle, not a factor in the game. They took away Cooper Cup. Give the Cardinals defense tremendous credit. They took away Cooper Cup. Locked down Deshaun Jackson, who went nuts in, uh, against Tampa. And their god-awful defense the week before. Robert Woods did nothing. Tyler Higby didn't do anything. Leading receiver was Van Jefferson with six receptions, uh, 90 yards receiving, and a touchdown catch. So give the Cardinals tremendous credit. They did not let the Rams run rampant. Took away that play action. Uh, they stopped the Rams' rush, and then, of course, receiving wise, they took away the deep game, which has been which has been the uh, the uh, Rams' secret weapon through the first three weeks of the season. They killed the Bears with it. They killed uh, they killed the Colts with it. They definitely killed Tampa with it the week before. And then you know they shut and then they shut all that down in week four with uh, Van Jefferson leading their re- being their leading receiver, not not getting to a hundred yards receiving and shutting down of the, the Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup connection which had been lethal the first three weeks of the season and there and the Rams defense get absolutely taken to the clinic uh, allowing Kyler Murray 24 32 through for two touchdown passes in the game um, and then of course Edmonds ran for 120 yards against them James Carner found the end zone twice and they let my guy AJ Green go off and be the Cardinals leading receiver in the game Five receptions, 67 yards receiving, and a touchdown catch uh, on the day for uh, my guy, the ex-Bengal, A.J. Green. So, and you allow the, and the Cardinals defense, or excuse me, the Rams defense, which has been pretty damn good you know, for the most part to begin the season, allowing the Cardinals to put up 37 points at home. That would, that would make you a little bit nervous if you're a Rams fan because you got to play them again and, not, and, these, and, and this competitive, tight, Nick division, these divisional games mean everything. And for the Rams to drop their first divisional uh, game of the season against a team that they historically have killed the last few years, that's 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 not a positive sign of great things to come if you're a, if you you know if from a Rams perspective, you know. And, and this is the game that the Rams have to have because of, because if they if the division comes down again, the home playoff game comes down to divisional record, they're going to rue the day where they where they lost to the Cardinals by 17 points at home.
you know, when 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 the Rams historically had done nothing but mop the floor with the Cardinals, whether it be in SoFi, the Coliseum, or down in Glendale, Arizona. That is that's a bad loss from from the Rams. And you get the feeling that the Rams, you know, got were a little too full of themselves, read too much read and heard and watched too much of themselves getting praised throughout the media, including yours truly saying, Hey, that was a hell of a hell of a performance against Tampa. They are by far at this point through the first three weeks, first month of the season, they are the best team in the NFL. And you got the feeling they got a little they got a little complacent, got a little bit too cocky and arrogant. It was like, Oh well, yeah, well, I mean, we're the, we're the LA Rams. I mean, we're supposed to be this good. Thank you guys for noticing. And they went out there and got their asses kicked by Kyler Murray, AJ Green. Their def- the Cardinal defense, which stepped up and had a good day at the office, and Cliff Kingsbury, who for for change and once in his life outcoached Sean McVay, which is some which is something to be commended. So uh, we give the Cardinals their flowers, and the Rams, you know, only lasted one week of being the best team in all of football, and it didn't last very long. They get dethroned, and they also suffer their first loss of the new season, losing by 17-37 to 20. That's item number two. Item number three is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, as a football team, are dead, done, finished, through, kaput. The Pittsburgh Steelers are not a good football team. The Pittsburgh Steelers are not going to win their division. The Pittsburgh Steelers are not going to make the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers aren't even going to finish with a 500-ish with the 17th extra game record. The Pittsburgh Steelers are awful. Their offense is non-existent. They getting points out of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense Regardless if you're playing the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Green Bay Packers, or the, um, who was the other team they played? Uh, the, um, I'm drawing a blank. Who was the other team they played week two? The, uh, Vegas Raiders is like pulling teeth. They're not going anywhere. Big Ben is shot. Their offensive line is not that good. Their running game is non-existent. Their wide receivers are overrated and the and ranked as the worst receiving core in the division by a landslide. The Pittsburgh Steelers is just not a good football team. And I've been telling you guys this since last August. Not August of 2021, but August of 2020 and September of 2020. And I said it when they went through that 11-game winning streak when they went up against those soft, mired opponents in the Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos. You know, and I could go on and on and on and on and on about the weak, soft opponents they had to begin the season. Weak, soft opponents. Weak. They didn't go up against the Kansas City. They didn't, you know, they got destroyed by Buffalo. And they should have, and they, and you can make the argument that they, that the two games they did beat the Ravens, they should have lost at least one of them. The Steelers are the Steelers are terrible. Their defense can only stop you, but for so long. Their defense can only do but so much when an offense when their offense cannot move the ball upfield. And gain positive yardage, and their and their offense can score no more than seventeen points. 
their offense is pathetic. They scored 17 points against Green Bay in their 27-17 loss. They scored 10 points against my Bengals the week before. They scored 17 points against the Raiders the week before that. And they scored 23 points against Buffalo in their only win of the season. But that has an asterisk next to it because 7 of those 23 points belong to their special teams slash defense. So you do basic math and you do the 23 minus the 7. They scored 16 points offensively against Buffalo. 16 offensive points week 1, 17 week 2, 10 week 3, 17 week 4. And Green Bay and the Green Bay Packer defense is not exactly the 62 Packers if we're being fair and if we're being honest. The Detroit Lions put up 17 points against them in the first half of their game a few weeks ago. And getting points out of the Steelers offense, if you're a Steeler fan, or if you have anybody, I don't know why you would, but if you have anybody from the Steelers offense on your fantasy team, it's like, it's like sitting through a root canal. And Ben Roethlisberger, whether he is too prideful, too arrogant, or just too plain stupid to realize it, to realize it, he's through. He's done. He's finished. He's washed. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer for what he did from 2004 to essentially 2017? Absolutely. Absolutely. Been to three Super Bowls, won two of them. No doubt, Hall of Fame quarterback. One of the best is now, is he up there with Breed? Now, is he up there with, with uh, Peyton, Brady, Breed, Peyton, Manic, Peyton, Brady, and Breeze? No, he is not. Is he up there with Aaron Rodgers? Although he beat him in the Super Bowl, it's debatable. Debatable in my eyes with Aaron Rodgers. But is he up there with, with Peyton? Brady and Breeze, historically, as the best of my generation, no, he is not. But is he better than Eli? Is he better than Eli? Is he better than Philip Rivers? Absolutely. Is he a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. But what Ben Roethlisberger did 10 years ago is completely irrelevant to the Ben Roethlisberger we're seeing play now. Because the Ben Roethlisberger we're seeing play now is the worst quarterback in, in the AFC North, you would take Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and the healthy Joe Burrow in a heartbeat over 2021 Ben Roethlisberger. You would take Mahomes, Herbert, Derek Carr over Ben Roethlisberger. You would take the you would take um, Deshaun Watson minus the legal troubles over Ben Roethlisberger. You would take Ryan Tannehill right now over Ben Roethlisberger. You would take a healthy Carson Wentz over Ben Roethlisberger. You would take, albeit he hasn't won a game yet in the NFL, you would take Trevor Lawrence over Ben Roethlisberger. You would take Mac Jones over Ben Roethlisberger. You would take a healthy Tua over Ben Roethlisberger. You better take Josh Allen over Ben Roethlisberger, and you would definitely take, with the tremendous upside ahead of him, Zach Wilson over Ben Roethlisberger. What am I trying to say, ladies and gentlemen? I'm trying to say that Ben Roethlisberger is the worst quarterback in the AFC. 
and that has nothing to do, nor should it have anything to do with, comma, the fact he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. But as of right now in the 2021 NFL season that we are living in and that he's playing in, he is the worst. Ben Roethlisberger is the worst. The Steelers' offense is the worst. Their offense has scored no more than 17 points this season. No more than 17 points this season. And again, this Green Bay Packer defense ain't exactly the 62 Packers with Lombardi. Shout out to Christopher Mad Dog Russo. But they're not good. They stink. They drafted Najee Harris with their first round pick for what exactly? With what line? Who's blocking for him? And how are you going to run? How are you going to be able to run the ball when the ball is in Ben's hands thirty and forty and fifty times a game? All Najee Harris is essentially is a glorified pass catcher out of the backfield. They stink. They have no heart, no gumption, no grit, no will to win. Nothing. They're dead. They stink. And I've been trying, I swear to you, I've been trying to tell y'all this for over the last calendar year now. That 11-0 record was fake. It was fraudulent. It was a mirage. It was a fugazi, fugazi, as Matthew McConaughey likes to say. That wasn't the real Steeler team. The real Steeler team was from that Washington game where they got picked off all the way up until this past Sunday against Green Bay. That is the real Pittsburgh Steelers at, at their absolute core. Not that phony, fake, magical 11-0 bullcrap we saw the first 11 weeks of the season last year. That wasn't the real Steelers. What you saw on Sunday, this is the real Steelers. I understand they got a they got a nice little defense. Defense can only do but so much when the when the offense is is you know it's three and out at the drop of a hat, and they can't muster up a score, and they can't score any more than and getting more than seventeen points out of them is like sitting through a root canal. Their defense can only it, it can only be but so good, and it can only do but with so much when put into that same tired circumstances on a week in week out basis. And a guy that's hard as a schedule as they have going up against the Green Bay Packers, the Ravens twice, the the Browns twice, the Bengals twice, who they've lost two straight to. The Chargers, the Titans, Mahomes. I mean, let's call a spade a spade and finally call it like we see it when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are not a good football team, and, and Big Ben is washed. He's not good anymore. He needed to retire after the Cleveland game nine months ago. But because he's too prideful and the fact that he's too arrogant and the fact that he's too selfish, he says... To hell with it, I'll hold the franchise hostage because I still think in my deluded planet planet delusional mind and my brain and myself exists on and that this franchise exists on that I think I still have one more great year left that I honestly think in my right mind with Mahomes and the Ravens and the Bills all in the same division that oh by the way I still have to play this season. I still think I'm a legitimate Super Bowl contender. 
it's a joke. It really, 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 really is a joke. And if you're a Steeler fan, you're sick to your stomach and you're depressed watching this team play. This Watching this team play football should bring you, if it hasn't already, absolute depression. Because it is sad watching this team play football. Sad. And it's sad watching Ben's old, decrepit, washed-up, has-been behind go out there on a week-in, week-out basis and think he's the quarterback that he was 10 years ago when everybody and their mother knows that he isn't. And say your prayers for yours truly because we get Aaron Rodgers this week. Goodness gracious, is that guy still good at his job? Holy crap. And yes, Minka Fitzpatrick did get screwed in an offside penalty that should have been called. But again, that's the offense getting bailed out yet again by their defense. Their defense has to become their offense in score form because their offense is so historically inept. Brady Brady returned to Foxborough for the first time uh, since becoming a Tampa Bay Buccaneer in his first game in Gillette Stadium since the 2019 AFC wildcard game against the Titans, which the Patriots ended up losing uh, on that uh, September, on that uh, rainy January uh, Saturday night in Foxborough. Brady came back to Foxborough, uh, you know, did what he needed to do. Tom Brady knew the circumstances, knew that the weather... I mean, first of all, if you watch the game, especially in the first half, that Brady was amped. I mean, he was amped. It was it was all systems go, pedal to the metal, 0 to 60, 0 to 100, whatever you want to call it. I am winning this game if it's the last thing I do because of how, how much... I mean, I mean the guys. I mean, he was the ball was zipping out of his hands like foam. It was, it was. I mean, it was like a rocket coming out of his hand. He had so much zip on the ball, and the fact that the weather was terrible, it was like Tom. I understand you're amped, and rightfully so. We need you amped, but you know, look, look, look at, look at, look at what the weather is around you. It's, it's raining. It's been, a, it's going to be a torrential downpour for two thirds of the game. You, you know, you, you're going to be air mailing and. And, and overthrowing us like this, we're not going to win. Putting so much zip and zip and extra uh, oomph on the ball, extra velocity on the ball, we ain't going to be able to catch it with these with the conditions out here. So took advantage of that. Do what the greats do. See what see what the game is giving them. Not just the opponent, but just the game atmosphere in general. Change their game, and they play well enough. To, and they and they do what they can. And they do what they have to do in order to put their team in the best position to win. And that's why Brady's the greatest. And that's why they won the game the other night. Leonard Fournette essentially was uh, was the MVP along with Brady with their offense. Twenty receptions, ninety-one yards receiving. Uh, on the ground for Leonard Fournette, and absolute, uh, what a job he did! Ronald Jones, of course, running for a touchdown. Um, and then, of, and then, of course, the thing I did, I did not get with Tampa is the fact why in the situation on their last offensive drive they're going, you know, they're trying to put the ball in the end zone. Well, all they got to do is just run the ball, which they had, which they done, you know, not blow your mind out great, but effectively all night long. Why they're taking shots at the end zone to uh, give the Patriots and Mac Jones a time for them to construct a little game-winning drive of their own, I don't understand. And we'll get to Belichick with the Nick Folk 56-yard field goal in a minute. But, you know, the Tampa Bay did what they had to do in order for them to win the game. 
and Brady, you know, with all the emotion and all the hubbub and the media presence and the attention and just all of the extra stuff that came with this game, did a phenomenal job of handling it. He was accommodating to the media after the game, gave Michelle Tafoya a nice little 10-minute interview afterwards. He hugged and he, he hugged and he, you know, made sure that he came in contact with every uh, friend and ex-co-worker uh, slash teammate he had with the Patriots organization. He, he he handled himself very well the other night, very well. And if there's one thing that that one has uh, learned with coming with finally coming around to liking and being a fan of Tom Brady after all of these years of hating his guts and root and rooting against him and cursing him under my breath and everything else, one thing I've come to realize is that for one, he's an excellent teammate. When you heard Michaels at the end of the game go out there and say, you know, he he keeps te- he texts McDan, you know, and he texts McDaniel's, he hears from him ten seconds later, he, you know, he he knows what's happening with all of his friends, all of his uh, teammates, with birthdays, special days, and special events in their lives. He keeps tabs on them. He texts them. He calls them. Spends time with them. You get the idea that Tom Brady and um, typically a lot of the all-time greats in team sports are, are more times than not are great teammates. You know, they may they be rough around the edges, may they be tough to deal with because you know because they're demanding and they're they can be dogmatic and uh, and uh, annoying at times, absolutely. But that's what makes them great. And at the and at the core, they're like that to their teammates because they want their teammates to be great along to be great along with them because they know it takes a team for them to win a championship. Like he said, like Brady said after the game. You know, with the receivers, you know, I can't, I can't catch my own passes. I can only throw them. And he, you know, he thanks and he appreciates every receiver that's been along on his NFL journey essentially since, you know, back 20 years ago. That's caught every pass from him. That's a tribute. That's uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, put their little two cents into Brady passing Drew Brees for the uh, NFL all-time passing yards leader. So. So you get to feel that Brady is just a tremendous teammate, appreciates every single person that he's played with and, and shared moments with and and share and shared accolades with. You can get the you can just get the feeling that he's well respected, well uh well revered and liked with the major with a lot of uh with a lot of uh, teammates and friends around around the uh, around the NFL, both past and present, that really appreciate and care for Tom, and he cares a lot for them in return, a great deal. That's something that you know, as I've gotten older, and as you've kind of you know, with Brady been being in the league as long as he has been, it's something that I've learned to uh, notice and learn to appreciate and like about him, just how much of a uh, of a uh, of a team player and how just well liked and well respected he is along the uh, NFL uh, community within his own player constituency and hugging uh, Josh McDaniels who he's tight with after you know before, when he came out when he came out the uh, tunnel prior to pregame prior to in uniform pregame one I mean you, you just get the, you just, you got that feeling you also get the idea just just for me that um that you know you really as someone you know again that hated Tom Brady for years 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 and years that couldn't stand as far as you could throw him for the majority of your of your uh, of your football fandom. You know, you real come to realize I don't know whether it's the fact that he's in Tampa or that I've older or that I've gotten older and I've gotten more mature and I've kind of matured 
with this little thing with this little thing that I have with with Brady and everything, whatever it is. But you notice that really the Brady hate only stemmed from me, really stemmed from him being misunderstood, not just by me, but a lot of the people out there that that you know that couldn't stand Brady for years, and all of a sudden can't get enough of him. It was it was out of pure. Mis- it, was, it was him being misunderstood. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, it was hating him just because essentially out of pure jealousy and that and that he wasn't winning championships for your football team. Which, that, I mean, it, I gotta be honest, it, it's, it's, it's the truth. Because if Tom Brady in 2019 said, 2019 said, hey, you know, I'm a. I, you know, I want to become a Cincinnati. I'm a, I want to be quarterback for the Bengals. I'm gonna help y'all finally get off the shine and win y'all selves the Super Bowls. Ownership and all of your issues. No practice facility. Be damned. You know, I'd I'd go get a Tom Brady Bengal jersey in a heartbeat. And every other long suffering fan, you know that that you know that isn't a Patriot or a Buck fan that hated Brady for all these years would say and feel the same way. So is that a misunderstanding, Tom? And kind of painting the and again kind of taking this brush and painting Tom to what you want him to be to give you a reason to hate him and give you a reason to dislike him. This is the first thing, and the second thing is he didn't play on your team, and it was just pure just hatred out of jealousy, and that you know and that's and that, and that's essentially what it was. And when you come and when you've come to cope with that, and then you. See it for what it is, and you take and you take the blinders off, and you take off the bias you have against you. Like, I actually, I actually kind of like this guy, and that's essentially ever since he's joined Tampa. That's the experience that I've that I've dealt with, you know, for the last what going on year or so. You know, are, are there moment? Are there moments about him? Are there a little? Things and quirks about him that you don't like that I still to this day don't like about him. Yeah, you know the fact that he's buddy buddy with Jim Gray and he essentially won't let anybody on a on a national media standpoint for the most part, you know, have any access to him but Jim Gray and the fact that you know he isn't the type of player that is that's going to go on Pat McAfee or go on uh, you know Christopher Russo's show or. Or be a guest on Sports Center, or be a guest on First, be a guest on First Take, be a guest on this. Be, you know, does does that still kind of turn me off? Turn me off to him a little bit? Yeah, it does. It does. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna BS you. This, I don't love everything about him, you know. And the fact that he, you know, with the MAGA hat when Donald Trump was running for, pre- I, you know, th- you know, now he's, you now it looks like he's kind of distanced himself away from the Donald, you know, since then. But did I like that about him? Absolutely not. You know how how he wasn't transparent and wasn't forthcoming and kind of looked a little guilty with the def- with the Deflategate stuff and destroyed his phone. Did I care for that? Still don't. No, I do not. But hey, he's the greatest. That's you know he. And I, and I and I've learned to and I've learned to see him that he's a you know that he appears to be a a, a real genuine guy that's well liked, well respected, and well loved, not just within the players and the people that he shared lives with in the NFL community, but also outside of sports. You know, you know, Sir LeBron LeBron likes him, Serena likes him, 
Osaka likes them. So yeah, Tiger likes them. So if the all so if the all time so if the all time greats outside of football like and have all the love and respect for Tom Brady, who the hell am I? Who am I, who the hell am I for me to have my little pathetic grudge against them just because he didn't play for my football team and he won seven Super Bowl? He won seven Super Bowls, six of whom a member of the AFC team that did nothing but kick our ass for twenty years. Who the hell am I? If 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 he's cool with Serena, LeBron, and all the other greats outside of football, and you know, and he had and he stayed out of trouble for the most part, and he's cool with the majority of NFL constituency, Richard Sherman being, you know, of course being the newest one bringing him in, then who am I to sit up here and hold this grudge against him? So that's just a little self-reflecting moment from a Patriots standpoint, you know. Mac Jones, who Chris Collinsworth waxed poetic about uh, on Sunday night, which much to uh, Twitter's chagrin, and I don't blame him because Chris Collinsworth was great, was insufferable on on Sunday night. I mean, oh my goodness, oh he was one one of the worst games he's ever done as a broadcaster, in my honest opinion. And waxed poetic about Mac Jones as if he as if he was Tom Brady. I understand he only had nine incompletions. 31 of 40. Now, grant that little completion streak he had, again, with a little asterisk next to it because these little, these, these little dink and dunk five-yard passes that I could have made, you know, so it so wasn't anything that crazy, that historic. But, you know, threw for 275, two touchdown passes. All right, fine. Do you have an opportunity where he could have, like, outshined the, 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 the return between Brady and Belichick? I get that, but... You know, against that god awful Tampa Bay defense that Matthew Stafford torched, Matt Ryan torched to a certain degree, Prescott definitely mopped the floor with them to begin the season. And, you know, they had to bring Richard Sherman off the street for crying out loud, and their defensive players are dropping like flies left and right. And all Mac Jones and the Patriots could produce is 17 points. I mean, and, and, they, and they produce as a team. Now, I understand it t- that Tampa's good historically against the run anyway but when when you as a team for an entire game muster a muster negative minus one yard of total rushing in the game that's not anything to be proud of it scored 17 points against the defense that Stafford Ryan and Prescott destroyed to you know Ryan to a certain degree granted he did throw two pick sixes but it wasn't like Matt Ryan had any issues scoring touchdowns against uh, Tampa's defense, no neither, and then Prescott and uh, and then Prescott and um, Matt Ryan, dis- or excuse me, Matthew Stafford destroyed the week before, and and the Patriots only scoring seventeen points. I can't sit up here and listen to Chris Collinsworth wax poetic about Mac Jones as if, you know, as if he's Tom Brady himself. I mean, oh my god, and 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 one negative one total yard as a team, not one player as a team. Rushing wise, I mean, come on, I mean, take take a chill pill, Chris. Will you please? My goodness gracious! And I don't understand why Bill Belichick, when Mac Jones, granted, he, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't outstanding, but he didn't stink. He played, he played very well in the game, all things being considered. And when he had as great of a final drive as he had in the final sequences of that game, why Bill Belichick, when Nick Folk, who you know they must have said about fifty times, had a bad plant dealing with a bad plant leg and. And and dealing with the elements of the wind and the rain and the fact that the 50, that a fifty six yard field goal is no gimme unless your name is Justin Tucker, why he decided to take that risk and kick the field goal I I don't understand. 
let Mac Jones win, win you the game, Phil. Not Nick Folk, who's got a bad leg, who has to kick a 56-yard field goal in, 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 in an essential monsoon. Come on, Bill. And if you kick the field goal, you leave Tom Brady, who you may have heard of, about a minute, about a, le- a little less than a minute left to go march down the field and, and score and kick a game-winning field goal of their own. Or put the ball, or possibly put the ball in the end zone if he felt like it. So, but that 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 made no sense. I understand Bill Belichick is an all-time great, and and he hasn't had many of those head-scratching moments at the end of football games. But why he decided to try out a uh, hurt Nick Folk to kick a 56-yard field goal in the wind and the rain like that when Mac Jones was playing well, especially on that final drive, I'll 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 never understand. Recap the Monday night game, and don't worry, I will get to the wild card game with Major League Baseball coming up later on. This is the Amtelekatelius podcast with Jai Shields. Welcome back. To the um, Tucketelius podcast. Real quickly, recap the Monday night game, then we get uh, move our way along with the uh, baseball as we uh, kiss week four of the National Football League tonight. Chargers dethrone what was the uh, only remaining uh, a- AFC undefeated team in the Las Vegas Raiders by the final score of 28-14. Uh, Chargers were up 21-21-nothing in, uh, in the third quarter before the Chargers started to uh, look like was going to um, make a little bit of a comeback as they ended up scoring 14 points to make it a 21-14 lead. And then, uh, and then things turned for the worse with the Raiders. And then things turned for the worse for the Raiders. As uh, as um, as the uh, before the Derek Carr interception, when the uh, Chargers converted on fourth and short uh, in the latter stages of the second half of that game, the Raiders cannot get off the field and set themselves up with good field position to uh, make to make it a game. Look, I mean, we expected this with the Raiders. You know, at least I did. They were playing well first three weeks of the season. I get that. Um, but their offense stalled out, and they were they could, could not muster anything in the first half, which is absolutely pathetic. Their defense looks like uh, looks like that they that the new leaf uh, was just hiding the was just hiding the old leaf as Justin Herbert took them to town, twenty five of thirty eight through for three touchdown passes in the game. Austin Eckler went absolutely nuts, fifteen carries, one hundred and seventeen yards on the ground, ran for a touchdown in the game as well. Jared Cook. Had a hell of a game. Six receptions, 70 yards receiving, caught a touchdown pass along with Austin Eckler. And Palm Jr. also joined the party uh, as well. It was just a perfect night for the Charger offense. And, of course, the Charger defense, who got to Derek Carr four times, didn't allow him to throw for over 200 yards, let alone 300, 400, which he had done the first three weeks of the young season. Then let Henry. I mean, they had Henry Ruggs have a couple, catch a couple of uh, deep passes, but outside of that, he only caught three of them. He didn't have a big day. They didn't let Darren Waller kill him. Hunter Renfro, uh, Hunter Renfro didn't uh, didn't uh, torch the uh, Chargers secondary either. Willie Sneed, uh uh-uh. uh. Josh Jacobs, uh uh-uh. uh uh. But they did a phenomenal job of a getting to Derek Carr with the four sacks. 
and uh, holding Derek Carr in check and not allow, not allowing him to throw for 200 yards on um, 200 yards passing, and of course these Chargers just had an absolute perfect night. The thing that I really want to sound off on on this game is that first off, how in the world do you build, and this is about this, uh, the game that was delayed by about a little over a half hour, because for once in a million years it, it rained and you had a thunderstorm in, in, uh, in Southern California in the greater LA area. How in the world do the idiots that Stan Kroenke got to design now it's it's a nice stadium. Don't get me wrong. I think Allegiant Stadium in Vegas is better. That's just my opinion. Uh, but how in the world do you design and end up building the stadium that costs you well over a billion dollars to make in Inglewood, California? How in the world and and, and you des- and you design the canopy design? You know after the Rams old logo that they that they changed which is just the dumbest thing in the world they designed SoFi Stadium so if you see it from like a helicopter or you see it from space whatever it looks like the Rams old logo yet when the Rams moved into the stadium for their first season they felt compelled to change to those god awful uniforms where they look like that they're where their players look like that they're working at Ikea or Best Buy somewhere and their logo looks more or less like a ch- like it should be the Chargers alternate logo and the Ram at the, as their midfield logo looks more like a goat instead of a ram but anyway it's not the end on there how do how do the uh, the uh, architectures and I'm not going to bother to pull them up cuz I'm not going to waste my time but how did the architectures that Sam Cronkey bothered to reach out to to design his multi-billion dollar stadium how did they build a roof but not essentially enclose the stadium to make sure that uh, it's you know to make sure that it's you know, that it's protected from from the uh, you know from the elements of whatever weather that may come their way in the uh, in the state of California. I mean, why uh, you build you build a roof but you don't think of enclosing the stadium with walls? I mean, that's like that's like building a house. That's like building a multi-million dollar mansion of a house have a nice roof and a skylight and everything else and you don't even bother to put walls up or buying yourself a nice a nice uh, million dollar sports car and it ha- and you know it's got the con- it's a convertible so you have the you know where you can put the roof up you can put the roof down you put the roof up you can have the nice uh, you can have the nice sunroof it's got all the extremities and all the features you'd want in a car but yet they have but yet they have no windows it's so uh, it just, it just so stupid, and just, I mean, how do you build yourself a stadium and you don't even? Oh, it's, and I understand that it rarely, if not never, rains in Southern California. But you always want to like build a building. This may be just me. I don't know about you, but you want to build a building to prepare for the worst. You know, you want to prepare a building to make sure that in a one in a million chance that you might go through a tycoon a typhoon a hurricane whatever that you want to make sure that that you, that your building's hurricane proof you want to make sure that you build that you know if you live in the if you live in a colder part of the country that your roof is able to sustain you know 12 inches of snow being plopped or or two feet or three feet of snow plopped on top of it so the roof doesn't cave in you want to be prepared that your house you know if you live in California that it doesn't essentially crumble to the ground on a 4.2 on a Richter scale uh, earthquake. You want to make sure that, that you know, you want to you prepare for the worst. At least that's just in my eyes is how, is how you want to design a building.
You know, prepare for prepare for the earthquake, prepare for the thunderstorm, prepare for if lightning strikes it, prepare if you have two feet of snow sitting on top of your roof, prepare for the high force winds, prepare for the tornadoes. But I guess it was like, oh, well, it's, it, I understand that you're going through a drought, California, but my goodness gracious, I mean, it's going to rain any, every day. What the hell? You know, just slap a canopy on top of it. You don't have to worry about enclosing the sides. And the thing that really got me is that we'll delay the game 35 minutes or however, 35, 40 minutes or however long it was. We'll delay the game. We'll, we'll take the players and the coaches off the field and have them sit in the locker room on their hands for a half hour when they're all fully clothed, fully dressed, taped up, and everything else. But yet we'll send the ESPN Monday Night Countdown crew who's actually standing there on the field with battery packs on because that you know that their micro their earpiece and their microphone you know with the battery pack we'll have them stand stand out there on the field with battery packs on but yet we'll hold up the game 35 minutes because it's a safety issue for the players but yet we'll send the Monday Night Football crew up with Steve Young, Booger, Shefty, and uh, Susie Colbert standing out there with uh, with battery packs on and and Susie with jewelry and they got probably had watches on and. And and, and 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 the fellas probably had cufflinks, you know, on their, uh, you know, with their suits. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and their and the and their belt buckle is is, is made is, was probably made out of metal too. We'll send them out there in the field so they can get struck by lightning, which apparently can go through buildings sideways now with battery packs on. We'll send them out there on the field for thirty five minutes. Where we'll hold up the football game and have everybody, every Charger and every Raider player, go back in the locker room and sit on their hands and twiddle their thumbs for thirty five minutes. I mean, it it made absolutely no sense. And again, lightning all of a sudden, you know, strikes people sideways now through buildings. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't make it up if you tried. You couldn't, you know. And the and and it being a de facto home de facto home game for the for the Raiders and and moments in time of the of the Chargers getting booed by Raider fans. I said I said it to you one time. I say it a hundred times, so I'm blue in the face. Chargers have no business. I don't care how great Herbert is. I don't care. If, I don't care if Justin Herbert is Dan Fouts plus three Super Bowl rings. I don't care what the Chargers do. They could they could bring back. They could have Lance Allworth line up at wide receiver with Keenan Allen. They could have Austin Eckler split the carries with Ladanian Tomlinson. They could bring Antonio Gates back out of retirement and have him split the uh, and have him split touches with Jared Cook. They could have Philip Rivers be Justin Herbert's backup. They could or they could or they could ditch Herbert altogether and bring back Johnny Unitas from the grave and they could never ever 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 be a be a pimple on the LA sports market and on the LA sports fans fanny in the city of Los Angeles and in the greater Southern California area they could bring they could get they could get Antonio Gates and LaDainian Thompson out of retirement Get Lance Allworth to line up at wide receiver. Look him up if you, if you don't know who he is, and get Johnny Unitas out and dig Johnny Unitas out of the grave. And they still wouldn't be a big factor as an NFL team in the city of Los Angeles. I don't care what you do. They had entirely zero 
business being in L.A. And every single time I hear a broadcast or somebody in the media say, well, if they keep winning, they're going to win the fans over. That's not how that works, guys. That's not how it, that's not how it works. You know, the Miami, the Miami Marlins have two World Series championships, and they can't draw flies. The Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Rays won over a hundred games this year. Have the number one seed in the A in the American League playoffs. The defending American League champions have been to the World Series twice in the last fifteen years. And their attendance numbers were worse than the over than the 105 whatever hundred loss they was they were than the and their attendance numbers were worse than the hundred plus loss Baltimore Orioles who by the way Tampa beat the living stuffing out of this season. Yet the Orioles who lost over a hundred games somehow some way can draw more than a team that beat them to a pulp that won over a hundred games. It doesn't work that way. When a team has no business and has no business being in a city that either doesn't want them or clearly doesn't want to support them for whatever the reason, I don't care how much you win. You're not you're, you're not you're not going to be able to establish yourselves in the city or the region if you play. And I don't care how well of of baseball in the Rays case or football in the Chargers case you play. You're not, you're not going to be a factor. It's just the way it is. Chargers had no business being in L.A. They should be in San Diego, which is where they, they should be in San Diego, as they were all those years. They should still be in San Diego. The Raiders should either be either in Oakland with a, with a, with in, a, in a perfect world with a nice new stadium in Oakland, or they, or they should be the ones sharing, uh, sharing SoFi with the Rams, not the Chargers. The Raiders should not, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be in Vegas. Vegas wants a football team. Give them an expansion team. If the Ra- Raiders should be should be playing in either one of two cities, Oakland. If they couldn't get a deal done in Oakland, they should be sharing SoFi with the Rams. Not out in Allegiant in Vegas. And the Chargers should be in San Diego, not in L.A. Because that's where the real Charger fans are is in San Diego. And honestly, they should move the franchise back to San Diego, but they would never do that because, because the greater San Diego uh, market is, is still, and rightfully so, pissed off at the Spanos family for, t- for taking their team. So the reason, so so here's how you do it: you kick Spanos, you kick Spanos out of own you you make the Spanos family sell the team. You move the Chargers back to you move the Chargers back to San Diego. Give them a a brand uh, spanking new stadium after they blew up uh, Jack Murphy, which they wanted no parts of. You move they move them back to San Diego. You have yeah, and, and you and you move the Raiders out of you move the Raiders out of Vegas to Los Angeles. They they share they share the building with the they share the uh, they share SoFi with the Rams and and the and Vegas has a has a nice uh, has a nice brand new stadium and 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 pro football facility for an, for a potential expansion team. That's that that's how it should be in a perfect world, but it isn't. But that's the way it should be. Take a break. We will get to the American League and National League wild card games coming up within the next uh, coming up within the next day or so. Right after this.
Welcome back to the I'm Tug Like a TIS podcast. By the way, the Orioles lost 110 games this past season. I said around the neighborhood of uh, 105. St- still don't. I'm not going to waste any breath talking about them. What I will say is, though, and I said it uh, in an earlier segment, I'll say it again. You know, if the Orioles can sell more, if the Orioles can sell more tickets and get more people to their games this year, and they stink, are they are they are an absolute eyesore to watch. If you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, out outside of a few uh, outlying players, if they can draw more, if they can now, granted the ballpark, granted the advantage that the Orioles have that Tampa doesn't is that a that that uh, Baltimore is a baseball town. Tampa uh, slash St. Petersburg is not, and they play, and Tropicana Field doesn't hold a candle to Oriole Park at Camden Yards, so that's the one advantage that the Orioles do have, that it is a tourist attraction, they play in a much better ballpark in the city, is a both is a baseball city historically, has been since 1954, Tampa's been there for the better part of the last 20 plus years or so, so I get that, but if Tampa, who again, yeah, if you want me, if you want to hear it, if you want their record, I give it to you. 162, 617 winning percentage, best record in the American League playoffs this year. Went to the defending American League champions. Went to the World Series last year. Went to the World Series in 2008. And yet they can't draw flies. And it's not because the team is bad. Team's good, but again. They they could have be they could have beaten the Dodgers last year. Say Cash doesn't take Snell out, and you know it's the same old Dodgers all over again, and and the Rays end up winning the World Series. And let's say for the sake of conversation, they go ahead and they win the World Series this year and they repeat. Still, still, wouldn't be as big in Tampa as the Lightning are, their hockey team, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are with Brady. Still wouldn't be, still wouldn't be as big as those two franchises. Still, they, they, they could repeat and in the regular season combine for two hundred and two hundred and seventy wins between the two seasons. They still would not draw anybody to Tropicana Field, and that is fact. So. Whenever I hear people in the media be like, "Oh, well, the Chargers don't have the, you know, don't have a fan base," right? You know, it was the place was Raider fans and so far on Monday night. But you know, when the team's good, you know, they'll win fans over. That don't work. That does not. It doesn't work that way, guys. When when a team is when a team is in an environment and in, in a location where it's made obvious right from the get go that the that that location didn't want them there or that they're not a fit in or that that franchise is not a fit in that exact location, there's no, the damage is already done. So so once once it is the way it is, you might as well accept it. You know, you're not you when when what fans over exactly? The Raider fans in LA have been Raider fans for uh, for decades. 
and if they've been loyal through and they've been loyal through the thick and thin of what the Raiders have gone through the better part of the last thirty plus years or so, what makes you think they're gonna change their mind now just because the Chargers are good? They hate the Chargers. Doesn't matter if the Chargers are playing in LA, San Diego, on the moon. They're gonna be the Chargers. So if you're an NFL fan, you're you're either honestly you're either a cowboy fan the place was cowboys in that week two game you're either a cowboy fan and, and if you've been a cowboy fan all your life well the charges being good ain't going to change things cowboys say now they're annoying and they're nauseating but the cowboys have one of the most loyal fan bases in all the sports they're not going anywhere i don't care what the charges do raider fans why would why would they jump ship to, to root for a division rival why why would they do that and in the Rams fan, and the Rams fan, Rams got a damn good team too. Why, why, why would they jump ship? Why would they jump ship from Rams to Chargers? What, what would be the reason? Rams, Rams are planning on, and they, and they possibly could be Super Bowl tenders, Super Bowl contenders for the next few years. Why, why would they jump ship the root to root for a team that has no that prior to twenty, I think it was twenty eighteen, they first moved there. Prior to twenty eighteen, had one singular season in the city of Los Angeles, and that was their first year there. That outside of that first year, and I believe it was nineteen sixty or sixty one, and prior to twenty eighteen, has zero connection to. The city of Los Angeles. The Rams and the Chargers do. Or excuse me, the Rams and Raiders do. And the Cowboys are such a national team, not to mention they have their training camp in Oxnard, California, right outside of Los Angeles, that 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 they're going that the Cowboys have a solid fan base in Southern California. So uh, so when, so when people give me that argument, well they're well in fan no they're not. Okay? It's it's going. It's going to stay that way. I don't care how successful and how great the the chart. The char, I don't care if the Chargers become, be you know, become the next the next great dynasty. They win three. They win three Super Bowls in a five year period. They still won't be as big as the Rams, the Raiders, and Cowboys are in that area. Not a chance in hell. And quite frankly, the 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 ownership deserves it. They deserve everything they get, because that because t- that team in the city of San Diego should be experiencing the early greatness and the signs of promise of Justin Herbert and that and that young football team, not L.A. who doesn't care. San Diego should be experiencing this. Anyway, I digress. Switching over to Major League Baseball as we preview the two wild card games on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Uh, just a little recap of Game 162. You had drama, had you had drama heading into Game 162 on Sunday. Um, you had plenty of you had plenty of drama, but you got you know it was all for naught because Sunday, you know Sunday had a little bit of drama with the Red Sox, and then uh, Rafael Devers had a clutch home run late in the game that took care of that. Aaron Judge had a walk-off infield single when the Yankees heading into the later innings of that game could only muster one hit against the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you know, the the Blue Jays beat the living stuffing out of the Orioles early. Uh, the uh, Seattle Manors, that was a horrendous loss by them losing to um, losing to the Angels. Uh, losing to the Angels and just getting punched in the mouth right from the opening uh, pitch in that game the other night or excuse me, on Sunday afternoon. So you didn't have that. 
and then on top of the fact that uh, so, and and the, and you needed dr- and the, and the, if you needed drama, you needed the Orioles, you needed the Orioles to knock off Toronto, and you also needed uh, Seattle to uh, and you also needed Seattle to get even with the Angels in order for you to set up a situation where you'd have you know a game one sixty three tiebreaker playoff. On on Monday night, but you didn't get any of that. Heading into Sunday, you had Tant- you had Boston and the Yankees both at ninety one and seventy, and they end up finishing the season with an identical record of ninety two and of ninety two and seventy because both teams won. Uh, Boston uh, holds on. Uh, Boston, this is a, a home game for the Red Sox. But heading into Sunday, both teams were at 91 and 70, deadlock for the wild card spots. And Seattle and Toronto, both at 90 and 71, were one game back of Boston and Seattle for the for the uh, for the two wild card spots. And you had all the scenarios where if uh, where if the Yankees won, the Red Sox lost, and the Blue Jays. And uh, and Mariners won. You'd have a three-way tie for the second wild card between the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Mariners. So if you, or if the Yankees and the Blue Jays won, and the Red Sox and Mariners lost, you'd have a Blue Jay Red Sox game 160. You'd have a Blue Jay Red Sox 163. Or if the Yankees and the Mariners won. Uh, you, you know, you'd have a Red Sox blue. You'd have a Mariner Red Sox game 163. So all the drama that you needed for the three-way ties and in the, the game 163 tiebreaker games, you needed the Red Sox to. You needed a. You need the Red Sox to lose, and b. You and b. You also needed the. Uh, you also needed the Blue Jays to lose. You needed the Orioles to beat the Blue Jays if you wanted a Mariner. Uh, Red Sox game 163, or if you or if the Red Sox and the Mariners both lost, you'd make things interesting, where the wild card game would be played at Yankee State, where the wild card game would be played uh, at Yankee Stadium. But the result, you en- but the result you ended up getting uh, was the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays winning, Mariners losing. So the uh, so and as a result, Manor, the Mariners finished fourth. Blue Jays finished third. Yankees, Red Sox game in Fenway Park for the American League Wild Card on Wednesday night, and then of course in the National League, uh, and the Dodger and the Giants came out right from the word go uh, and beat the living stuffing out of the Padres, uh, which was not which was not shocking. And then I said over the weekend that if you wanted any drama and if the Dodgers wanted any chance of winning the division. You they you needed San Francisco to lose regardless of what the Dodgers did. You needed San Francisco to lose. If San Francisco would have lost, they would have fell to one hundred six and fifty six. Dodgers Dodgers would have won, been one hundred six and fifty six. You would have had and you would have had some interesting uh, for the National League West, but you didn't. The Dodgers beat the, the Dodgers won there. The uh, Dodgers couldn't take care of business. Um, or did, well, let me matter of fact, let me check that. I think they did win their. I think they did win their game against the Brewers, um, the other night. But I'm not positive. What I do know, uh, what I do know is that the Dodgers took care of business against the uh, Padres, therefore clinching the National League West. And but and I and I do believe ending the Dodgers streak of I believe, it might be I think it was either seven or eight years in a row. This is off the top of my head. I believe it was seven or eight years in a row in which the Dodgers won the NL West. 
Giants ended that streak by taking care of business against the Padres on on Wednesday afternoon, albeit the Dodgers beat the crap out of the Brewers by the final score of 10-3. Max Muncy hurt his elbow. Uh, during the game as well, so it looks like he's gonna miss some. T- he looks like he's gonna miss um some significant amount of time, which is what you don't like, especially when the Dodgers have to play a a, a do or die winner take all wild card game uh, later on uh, here tonight. So Max Muncy, uh, so Max Muncy looks like will not be a part of the Wednesday night festivities at Dodger Stadium as they take on the Cardinals to try to go a long way to defend their 2020 World Series title. Uh, you also get, and this is just for the wild card game roster, Gio Urshela on the roster for the Yankees. No DJ LeMayhew as previously reported. J.D. Martinez is also for the Red Sox, not on their roster. He sprained his ankle during Sunday's win against uh, the Nationals. And Chris Sale not on the roster because he pitched Sunday uh, in D.C. in that in that uh, do-or-die game 162 against um, against the Washington uh, Nationals. So, and just to run down the uh, and just to run down the uh, lineups for you, you got Anthony Rizzo hitting leadoff for the Yankees. I mean the the analytics stuff. I mean, you got and I understand Judge has played well and and boy has he. I mean, he 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 and Stan have been one of the have been the two main reasons why the Yankees are playing in this game when it looks like they were going to be dead to rights and no postseason for you. And out you, out the door you go, Aaron Boone. But I mean, the, with the lineup with the with Anthony Rizzo and Judge hitting leadoff, I just I don't understand it. Um, but I got Anthony Rizzo leading off, Judge second. Batting second, Stanton third to DH, Gallo left field hitting cleanup, Glaber Torres at second base, who's played much better at second base than he has at shortstop, Brett Gardner hitting second, excuse me, sixth in center field, Gio Urshela at third base, Kyle Higashioka catching for uh, Garrett Cole, Andrew Velasquez hitting ninth shortstop, um, uh, Aaron Judge, by the way, in right, Gallo in left, Gardner in center. And then Schwarber leading off. He's a designated hitter for the Red Sox. Enrique Kike Hernandez hitting second. He's in center field. Rafael Devers, the uh, game 162 hero, hitting third. Xander Bogarts at shortstop hitting cleanup. Alex Verdugo in left field. Hunter Renfro, not to be confused with the... uh, with the uh, wide receiver special teams extraordinaire for the Raiders. He's hitting sixth in right field. Kevin Pawecki, the catcher, hitting seventh. Bobby Dahlbeck, the first baseman, hitting eighth. Christian Arroyo, the second baseman, hitting ninth. The left-handed hitters in the Red Sox lineup, Schwarber, who's hitting leadoff. Rafi Devers, who's hitting third. Alex Verdugo hitting fifth. That's only three left-handers in in the lineup for Boston. For the Yankees, Rizzo, Gallo, Gardner, your left-handed pitchers, along with Andrew Velasquez, who's hitting cleanup and will hit left-handed at least to begin the game, with the right-handed pitcher Nathan Avaldi starting for the game, starting the game for the Boston Red Sox. Do or die game. You never know. You know this could be a game where where the Yankees, a la on a Sunday afternoon, they fail to get a hit until the latter innings of the game, where their offense goes. You know, flat as a pancake. They can't muster anything. They pitch well, but they can't hit. Could also be a game where the Yankees are hitting the ball out the ballpark left and right. The Red Sox are flat after they've had a very subpar, lackluster, lackluster disappointing uh, second half uh, to the season after a tremendous first half. 
Um, and the Yankees, you know, win the game 10-1, 9 nothing, whatever it is. Um, so it could so it could go that way. It also could be a game where the Yankees, you know, don't don't hit the ball out of the ballpark a ton, but their offense isn't flat. It's a it's a you know like three nothing, two nothing type of game. Cole pitches well, you know. Cole pitches well. Boone makes a mistake, pulls Garrett Cole early when he doesn't have to, or goes Cole is gas and they go to the bullpen and their bullpen a la Chad Green, a la Arodis Chapman goes ahead and, you know, gives a cookie down the heart of the plate to, uh, you know, whether it be Schwarber, Rafi Devers, or Bogarts, and all of a sudden the Red Sox <laughs> move on to play move on to play Tampa instead of the Yankees, and everybody laughs and trolls Aaron Boone in the Yankees and Steinbrenner and Cashman for, you know, for the rest of the month of October and through the fall and through the winter and everything and, uh, and everything else, and Hopefully, if that and if that does happen, which I would like to happen, I you know as an Orioles fan, you don't want any of these. You didn't want any of these teams in. So you'd ra- if you're an Orioles fan, you'd rather have uh, you'd rather have Toronto and Seattle make it, and have and have Seattle knock off Toronto. So you only get one AL East team in there because you know because those two teams have beaten up beaten up on the Orioles all year long, so I wish again, I understand it's not possible, I wish both teams could lose because I don't want these two teams to win and move on to play postseason baseball at any stretch of the imagination. If I suffer, then the whole damn division has to suffer along with me. Um, So I wish both teams could lose, but it would be a little bit more sweeter to me, to me, because I because I cannot stand them, and and that will never change, and I will continue to hate them till the day I die. Uh, I would love, absolutely love to see the Yankees lose tonight. Would l- love, love, love to see. I, and I, now, if the Red Sox end up losing tonight, I'm not going to cry them a river, no, neither. But well, you can sweep Carolina your asses right into the off season. But uh, but if the Yankees lose, especially in 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 hilarious collapsing fashion, you know Boone screws up with the bullpen. And Chapman and/or Chad Green <laughs> comes in there and gives up a game-winning, gives up a game-winning hit. I mean, oh, oh, that that's what that's what I want. That's what I want. Have to have the game, have the game be close, nothing, nothing, or one nothing. New York, Garrett Cole, phenomenal performance. Aaron Boone comes in and screws it up. Uh, pulls pulls Garrett Cole when he shouldn't have. Or he pulls Garrett Cole at the right time, goes to his bullpen, taps on Chad Green or Chapman, and again they serve up a cookie right down the heart of the plate for Kyle Schwarber to hit. It's you know to hit nine miles, you know next to uh, the TB12 facility in Foxborough, or for uh, or for uh, Xander Bogarts to hit the ball nine miles over the Green Monster onto Lansdowne Street. You know, in the bottom of the eighth inning or bottom of the ninth, you get a walk off, and Matt Vasgersian loses his nine, and he can say Santa Maria at the, at the top of his lungs nine thousand times. But uh, that's that's what I want uh, in this game. But I can see this game going many many different ways, and I would not be shocked that Red Sox win. Wouldn't be shocked that Yankees. These teams are dead evenly matched, so I I wouldn't be floored regardless. What the what the outcome is now with the Cardinals and the Dodgers, you get rain, you get Wainwright versus Serger, both who have had phenomenal uh, phenomenal years thus far. At the time of this recording, the lineup has not came out yet, um, 
But the Dodgers are too good of a baseball. Now, the Cardinals, you know, they got a little bit of good karma riding with them with that nice winning streak they had in the month of September. And they look to be dead. They would look like they were dead as a doornail, no postseason for you. And then they come back from the dead and all of a sudden steal a playoff spot um, in the National League. And then, of course, the Dodgers, who. Lost the divi- who lost their division, you know, by an eyelash. So, uh, so you know, who deserve who deserve to be the best, who deserve the number one seed in the National League. The same, the same amount of reason why the uh, why the Giants have it, and why the and why the Giants do have the number one seed in the National League and won the division as well. So, I, I think the Dodgers will win this game on Wednesday night by the final score of. Five to two, and I think the Red Sox will win this. No, yeah, I'll go with the Yankees. Yeah, I want. Uh, I I'll go with the Yankees to win this game. But uh, Judge, Judge will have a great night. I think that thing was just going to be a night where Aaron Judge will just carry the Yankees, where their offense won't be able to hit. And it'll just be the Aaron Judge and the uh, Garrett Cole show. You know, Cole will pitch seven, eight innings of, uh, you know, of uh, three-hit ball, something like that. And Aaron Judge will go deep for two home runs. Two of one of them will be a two-run shot. Another will be a solo. Yankees win the game, three nothing. Yankees go on to play Tampa. Dodgers move on to play the San Francisco Giants. And if that does happen, that really would that really would put the D, that's what she said, in divisional series for the AL and NLDS. Dad joke, I know. Sorry. That is your show, and that is another episode of the Almatelica TIS podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please subscribe if you haven't already. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on on Twitter at Amatel underscore it TIS and the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. It is your boy Jai Shields. Enjoy the two wild card games. I will talk to you guys on Friday. Y'all take care. See ya.